who really is my customer here? I mean, just going way back into the early days of the software industry, at first it seems very, very convenient to want to sell directly to the company. Hey everyone, I'm Mark Randolph and welcome to That Will Never Work. On this podcast, I speak with folks who are at every stage of building their own business, whether they're leaping from side hustle to self-employed or are already generating revenue and ready to level up. My goal is to draw out their biggest challenges and then, using a combination of advice, encouragement, and tough love, nudge them just a little closer to realizing their dreams. While I'm known for co-founding Netflix and serving as its first CEO, my career as an entrepreneur spans four decades. Netflix was actually my fifth startup, and since leaving there, I've had the opportunity to work with scores of early-stage companies and mentor aspiring entrepreneurs from all over the world. Along the way, I've picked up hundreds of tips, tricks, and secrets, which I'm eager to share with my listeners. Helping others move their ideas forward has become my life's passion. So if you've been told that will never work as much as I have, you've come to the right place. Together, we'll prove the naysayers wrong. As anyone who has built a house, put on an addition, or even just done a remodel knows, The contracting business is full of regulations, requirements, and restrictions. Building codes, waste disposal, workable hours, insurance, hazardous materials. It's a full-time job just knowing the rules, no less following them. Today's guest, JR, is a contractor, entrepreneur, and a rule follower. Not willing to risk running afoul of the EPA, JR has created an app designed to streamline and organize a contractor's documentation process. He's found it immensely useful for his own purposes, but in trying to monetize it, he's struggled to find customers. He came to me to talk about how to find the right buyers, and it opened both of our eyes to some ways he might be able to build some business for himself. Hey, JR. Welcome to That Will Never Work. I'm uh, actually really excited to hear what you're up to. And I think the best way to start would be for you to take a few minutes and kind of give me maybe the abbreviated elevator pitch, what you're doing, and then what you think I might be able to help you with. Sure. As a contractor, it's a nationwide rule. We're subject to the EPA's RRP rule, which is renovate, repair, and paint. And so any contractor that's working on a home where people are living in it or dwelling in it, 1978 or older, are subject to this rule. And it requires that we do work a certain way and that we document it. And the big thing is documentation. If we don't document and we don't do the work correctly, uh, we can be subject to a fine of $37,500 per day per incident. So as you can imagine, that could sting a little. In the people that I have spoken to that have been fined or have had problems with the EPA, it's all been documentation. You know, it doesn't matter what you did, it matters what you can prove. And so if you get that call where the EPA says, okay, we're going to come and audit you, you better have all your paperwork and photos together. So out of fear, I created an app. It's a web app for our company that just allows us to document all this in the field because technicians, while they're wonderful at their job and they can do good work with their hands, typically the documentation, the paperwork, that part, they're just not wired that way. So having something that you can do on your phone in just a few minutes and that you can document throughout, we found to be hugely helpful. And now I'm wondering Do I have something here or is it just something that we're using for us? 
interesting stuff here. First of all, I love the fact that you did this because you yourself were struggling with a problem, as opposed to, oh, I have this cool idea, and I'll see if I can figure out who might want it. But before we even get into that, I need a little bit of background here. So first of all, remind me, what is it? RRP, something, something, and paint, right? What are the first two? Yeah, it's uh, renovate, repair, and paint. And they want you to document everything you do all the time under certain circumstances over a certain dollar amount i mean really yeah it's not really a dollar amount it could be for free but if you're disturbing more than oh boy i'm a few years out of class i want to say it's six square feet of substrate so if you're getting into anything that's more than three or six square feet of substrate and you're disturbing that in a home older than 78 then you got to jump through a bunch of hoops. You got to put up signs that say, do not enter. You got to tape off all the registers and put up zip walls and plastic and basically make the room look like the climactic scene out of Dexter, right? And that's where you're doing your work. (laughs) I'm not kidding. It's interesting. The thing is, you can do that, but you have to document it. And there's a checklist that they recommend. And by recommend, you don't have to use this, but if you don't use this, you're in trouble. Let's start out with a compliance question here, first of all. So really, what percent of the people who disturb more than six square feet of substrate actually do any of that stuff? No less document that they did it. I mean, that's as simple as putting in a window. People know if you disturb the outside of the house, you kind of need to do it with permits and all that kind of crap. But six square feet, that's what, two and a half by two and a half hole. That's pretty little. Do people really do all that stuff? Yeah, we do, yeah. But that's why in Home Depot and Lowe's, they do it and big dealers will do it. But we're all subject to the rule. And this is why I'm not sure if this will work because I think a lot of contractors don't do it. But nevertheless, you know, I get these emails from the different schools, the contractor schools, the schools that do licensing also do EPA training. And so they'll do that RRP certificate because you have to go through a certification class. They're doing them like every month. And so somebody's paying for these or people wouldn't be advertising it. But I wonder if they're just not getting the license just so they can say, hey, I'm EPA certified, but they're not doing the work, which that's dangerous because now the EPA knows who you are and you're in the rotation for a possible audit. So you should be doing it. You are a contractor, correct? A general contractor? Mm -hmm. Yep. You also have some, at least, HTML coding skills, it sounds like? A little bit. Nothing too crazy. But enough to build a web app, which can do these things. Yeah, I coded it in Laravel, and when I got stuck, I hired developers to walk me through it, but I did the bulk of it myself. We know at least two types of people who want to use this. One is you which we'll get into in a minute, put you on the couch here and uh, dig deeply into JR's psyche about why he's doing this. And then, of course, all the schools who are teaching how to do this thing. And they go, listen, it's not so hard. In fact, there's this great app you can use and here, let's all download it and we'll show you how to do it. Piece of cake. Have you ever heard of anyone being audited? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. I've got a friend of mine that got nailed real good. I won't mention names or cities or anything, but I got a friend that got hammered. And um, I know of another person in a professional face group that I'm a member of. I've never met him face to face, but I know him on Facebook and he got audited as well. I think I've told this story before. Near where I live, there's this building 
called the Winchester Mystery House. You ever heard of that? You know, it was built by the heir to the Winchester rifle fortune, who some fortune teller told her that if she ever stops building, the house will be haunted by everyone killed by a Winchester rifle. And I'm imagining that was a pretty considerable quantity. And considering how they were killed, they probably are none too pretty. So you don't want to be haunted. So, of course, she never stopped building. And this house is this mishmash of windows and doors and stairways to nowhere and additions and just because you couldn't stop. I'm telling that story because that's me. I have this insatiable desire to modify anything I get my hands on. And so I have done plenty of remodels. And so I do know a little bit about what happens. And I do know that we're always scared about two things. One is, is the work we do permitted? And then the scary thing is you get busted for doing work without a permit. And you're always scared that someone drives by, someone from the town, and then you get busted, in which case you get tagged and they shut down the work. So that's a homeowner and a contractor fear, which I would imagine is very real. Okay, second fear is you do the work with permits, but now, of course, to close the permit, an inspector has to come out and inspect the work. And so, of course, I imagine that's a risk. But now what I'm getting to with all this is it sounds like there's actually a third type of inspector from the EPA. Is that correct? Or do the building inspectors look for this stuff? Now, building inspectors, as far as I know, are not involved in this at all. And the EPA would not be coming around and haranguing a homeowner. So basically, the whole purpose of the EPA's audit function is uh, revenue generation, well, at least in my <laughs> opinion. I mean, they may say it's public safety, but come on, you know, been doing this for 23 years and I don't eat the stuff that comes off the wall, so I haven't gotten sick. But I mean, it can happen, right? Shouldn't minimize this. I mean, if you're cutting and kicking up dust, you actually can get sick and need chelation and all that by not taking precautions. But I don't think it's as much of a risk as anyway, that doesn't matter. But the fear is for a contractor, they're going to call you up or you're going to get that letter and they're going to say, hey, next week we're coming by your office and we're going to audit you. So we're going to see a list of your jobs and they're going to look at them and see how old is that home? If it's pre-78, cool. Show me your checklist. Show me your photos. And if you don't have them, fine. But fine, not fine. It's okay. Fine as in you're paying money. I get the distinction. I'm thinking for a second here about where I want to go with this. It sounds like, A, you're pretty serious about adhering to the, if I disturb something to some degree, maybe you're not quite the six square feet, but you do, I'm doing a little job, which is going to be tearing out drywall or whatever it is. I'm going to go through these processes. And if I'm going to go through these processes, I may as well document it. And it's kind of a pain to document it. So I'll build the app. Wonderful. So now tell me what's happened as you've tried to commercialize the product. Because I'm gathering what happened is you said to yourself, well, if I want this and I'm using this, I wonder if anybody else would. Is that what happened? Then if so, what happened when you began trying to commercialize it? Sure, that's correct. Now, I should preface this by saying I'm more of a business person than a contractor. At least I like to think so. And so when this role came out, everyone is looking at it and saying, oh, you know, this is going to cost us a fortune because you have to do a lot more work and there's consumables and this and that. And I looked at it and said, ooh, revenue generator. Because everyone else is going to be saying, I don't want to do this. And, you know, let's find ways we don't have to do this. And I'm looking at it and going, look at all of my competition. 
they don't want to do this or they're not going to do it all the way. They're going to do it halfway or not at all. And folks, you, you know, if you really want to be protected from the dangers of lead-based paint exposure, then we need to do it this way. And this is the cost. And that's one of the ways I'm different than my competition. So for me, it's a revenue generator. If more contractors understood that, I think there'd be less aversion to it. But now that being said, what I did to monetize it is I basically just built a small sales funnel and I ran Facebook ads and I actually got one whole subscriber. (laughs) And that lasted about seven months and they fell off. Very difficult to market to specifically contractors. I didn't try other verticals. I kind of just gave up because I'm busy, you know, I mean, Our shop's not huge, but it's not small. But I just keep thinking in the back of my mind, am I the only one that cares? Or is this something that other people would use? Because on a subscription, it can fundamentally change my life. Well, let's talk for a second about how you might be able to answer that question. You are somewhat mystified, but let's see if we uh, or you can brainstorm a couple of reasons why you think this hasn't taken off and become the next Snapchat. Sure. What are some of the reasons that you run these ads, you've told contractor friends, and so far, all I need to get is one more subscriber and you'll have two. So tell me, why do you think the reasons are that that's what's happening? So I think there's a few reasons. One of them, I don't know that I tried all that hard. So there's that. So shame on me. But also, I think that most people just think it'll never happen to me. And that's probably why the vast majority of them don't even do it. I don't even know if Home Depot and Lowe's with their subs where it was really doing much about it until they got smacked with like a half a million dollar fine a few years ago. Oh, all of a sudden it's serious. And if you work for them, you got to do it. And so as a small contractor, which would be the majority of the people that would benefit from this, we're looking at it going, well, I'm not Depot, I'm not Lowe's, I'm not on the radar. So I, I think a lot of it is just, it'll never happen to me. As a contractor, I think you just get so busy, right? You're just being pulled, especially now, in just a thousand different directions. That's just one more thing that you don't want to deal with. Are you worried that it might be the product, that it doesn't work well, or have people tried it? How is it priced? Tell me briefly about that. The first part of that, does it work? Yeah, I use it. Is it pretty? It could be prettier, and if I had money coming in, I could make it prettier, but it's effective. How is it priced? was pricing it at $19.99 for up to 10 users. I think what I'd probably do is lower that to like $9.95. I don't know. I mean, I just pulled the price out of thin air. There was no real market research or basis on it. It's just, you know, what do I think a contractor would pay to be able to solve this problem? You mentioned this, you know, obviously going back to the didn't try too hard piece. First of all, those are three good reasons. One, I'm going to categorize the didn't try as uh, execution problem. In other words, you just didn't do it right. That's a legitimate one that a lot of people bump into. So that's a reasonable guess. Number two is that you dramatically misjudged the market, that in fact, no one cares. And I'll come back to that one in a little bit. And number three is you're kind of hinting at maybe you mispriced it. I think that if you were onto something, your product is probably fine. In other words, like you said, ah, oh, it's kind of rough. The very fact that you developed this for your own use, that you actually have people using it, they're the ones who complain to you and go, JR, damn it, it is so hard to put in the photo. And you go, okay, okay, and you fix it. You know what the pain points are. It's good enough. Considering the market that you're trying to hit with this thing, good enough is plenty to find out what you're trying to find out, which is, is there 
something here which could meaningfully change my life if I can make this work. So I'm not worried. I've never seen the product. I've never used the product. I've never worried about RRP audits, but I'm sure the product is fine. Let's talk about whether you've priced it correct or what your offer is. The best way to figure out whether your pricing problem is to take away the pricing to start. I wouldn't normally do that, but give it away free. See what kind of engagement you get with it. As they proverbially say, I can't give this thing away. Well, that tells you something right there. It certainly tells you that this is not a price problem. If you haven't already, I would encourage you to try to quote unquote, sell it, but for free or do something ridiculously over the top, which goes it's first three months free or first 50 audits free, something for you to find out to eliminate all the pricing friction, because the last thing you want to do is have pricing friction at the beginning when you're trying to figure it out. So you can certainly do that test pretty quickly. And if you go, wow, at 1995, I'm batting one for a thousand. But wow, and I did the two weeks on Facebook for free. Holy crap, I've got 600 people using it. That tells you a very, very interesting thing. It says the market's good. It means the product's good. It means your pricing was wrong. Then we have another session here where we go a lot deeper into how to build the right subscription model, how to try things. And depending upon your listening to this, there is an episode which just came out, which we talk about building a subscription model for a business. Listen, I got to say, I think you've got a market problem. I think you're building a product that solves a problem that almost everyone <laughs> doesn't have. I'm going to leave you some room there. I love the fact, again, that you were solving a real problem, but you made an assumption, which is that this real problem that you have, that there's got to be others like me. There's two big steps for people to be like you. Number one, they have to be doing the RRP work to begin with. So are these contractors actually doing the work? Because the last thing I want to do is begin giving all of my employees this tool to document the fact that I didn't do it or didn't do it correctly. I would rather just, I'm not planning on doing it. So no way do I want to get in the habit of everyone or something like that. So there's this issue that a lot of people don't do it. Then you have to multiply the few that do it with the ones who actually believe there's some realistic chance that I'm going to get caught. And it sounds like, despite the fact that you can point to real examples, it's really, really few. I would agree. Let's do two quick things here, exercise. So one is, let's talk for a little bit about how to validate whether, in fact, those assumptions are correct. But then let's try and be constructive and let's talk about some other things you could try to re-energize this product. A huge piece of it is making sure you understand your market really well. You understand your role in the market. I mean, you certainly understand what a contractor has to do. You understand the whole ins and outs of the RRP documentation process. I'm not saying understand that. I'm saying it'd be kind of nice to know how prevalent people actually do this. It might be helpful to begin reaching out to some people anonymously, if need be, and doing some interviews here and really just getting them to spend a little bit of time with you on the phone or via email and talk about what do they do? How do they decide when to do it? Why don't they do it? To find out how deeply entrenched this is. And you're also looking, I mean, this is the basic thing of interviewing your potential customers is you're listening for 
are there other things I could do to help? Are there other aspects of why they don't do it that I could solve that problem? You could still be playing in and around the RRP space. The other one for the people who do it is really try and understand why they don't do the documentation. Is it time? Is it money? Is it something else? And you may conclude, no, this is too small. There's just not enough people who want to do this. I'll open it up. We can talk this a second. Let me just lay out one more thing. You then would begin saying, is there some other use for this? And I would actively explore that. So for example, Home Depot, you said, has now gotten religion. What do they use? Well, I don't know because it's funny. And I actually know a sub who does a lot of work for Lowe's. So I suppose I could ask and find out, a buddy of mine. But they require all of their subs because it's all subcontract. They don't have anybody in house. So they require all of their subs to do it. However, I don't know how they're documenting or proving it. I would imagine they're just relying upon their subs to do it, but you can't as the prime contractor you're responsible. It doesn't matter. So who knows? That's a good question. What immediately leaps out at me is you may have the right product. You may even be solving the right problem, but you may be solving it for the wrong person. It could be that this is not a product for an individual to make a decision about because they have no pressure to use it, except when you have a Lowe's who is saying, you have to do this. Right. Maybe your customer is Lowe's. Maybe your customer is Home Depot. Maybe your customer are other large-scale contractors who are using subs. In other words, maybe you just define your market slightly differently. It's very, very common to have to figure out to identify who really is my customer here. I mean, just going way back into the early days of the software industry, you're beginning to sell software into companies. At first, it seems very, very convenient to want to sell directly to the company, but you realize that their interest as a company is not the individual product. Their interest is how everything fits together how one product works with another. Is there compatibility? How do I maintain them? How do I upgrade them all? And you realize there's these people who are either value-added resellers or system integrators. And quickly you realize, no, no, I sell to them. And that's my way of reaching these larger companies. It could be that you have a similar thing, that your customer is actually the large contractors who are working with subs, that they could be a great source of either buying large site licenses. In other words, you make a deal with Lowe's that says, listen, here's the deal. I'm going to sell you a, a site license and it's going to be $10,000 a month. And that gives you 500 seats. And for every bucket of 50 seats above that, it's another 5,000. In other words, then you just begin reading up on how to do... <laughs> seat-based SaaS pricing, and then you want to change your life meaningfully, you sign up five of these large contractors and they're each paying you $50,000, $5,000 a month, whatever the number is, and pretty soon you're doing okay. And they are the ones who say, hey, if you want to work for Lowe's as a sub, and there must be 10,000 subs in their network. Oh, he's more. Yeah, 100,000 yeah. subs. Probably. Lowe's says or even. you have to use RRP Master or whatever you call your product, RRP Pro. and that you just download it from our website. You basically get a fee of X dollars per seat per month or whatever the numbers are. 
But in other words, you say, I'm not going to be the one who tries to convince a contractor to do it. I'm going to let the person who pays the subcontractor's bills push it on them. So that's just one thought, is recognizing who really is incented here to do this and rather trying to scare people or convince people that they should be using this tool to keep the boogeyman from coming. And I swear, he's really there. One of these days, he's really going to get you. No, you know, listen, uh, let someone else be the bad guy. Let someone else go, listen, you can deny all you want, but we just got socked with a half million dollar fine. So if you don't believe in it, fine, you can work for someone else. You want to work for me? You're going to do the RRP work and you're going to document it and you're going to use it by using uh, JR's tool. That's an approach. And it may not be the big firms. It may be uh, unions. It may be associations. In other words, you go to the uh, contractors association, I'm sure there is one, and you go, listen, I, we have a deal for every member. I'm willing to do it at this price. and I'm going to split it with you. <laughs> you know, So everyone that you send through me who downloads it and uses it, you get the half and whatever. But there's some model of getting someone else to be incented to sell your product is to recognize that there's different ways to get to who your customer is. In fact, it's truly understanding not necessarily who your end user is, but who your customer is. The other one is off the top of my head, maybe you can convince the EPA to do it. Maybe if there are, in fact, really auditors, that you can get the auditors to begin suggesting people use this, partly because it would help make all our lives healthier, which fundamentally is what the EPA is trying to do, but also certainly makes the audit easier when you can just download everything automatically because we've built this API, not yet, built this API, which drops right into the website. And I don't know. But in other words, you begin saying, maybe the EPA can help me. The last one is you begin saying, is there some adjacent usage that this tool might be great for that might have a use? And that's just going to come again from the interviewing process. Mm -hmm. I know, for example, that there's all kinds of amazing tools now that home inspectors use, which probably are very similar in functionality to the one that you've built, where basically you're documenting, you're attaching photos, you're attaching narrative, it's organized structurally. I'm just wondering, maybe as you begin to talk your way through some of these informational interviews you're going to do, you're kind of listening for someone mentioning, says, yeah, 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 I know the RRP, but what you're describing would be great if I could use it for X. And at that, your ears should perk up and you should go, what? Tell me more. What's the problem you're trying to solve? And you'll stumble onto something which could be even bigger and even more obvious. All right. I've rambled on for a bunch. Any of this stick? Any of this resonate? It does. Um, I had actually thought uh, in passing that it would be beneficial to try to either gain an endorsement by the EPA, which is, you know, a big old bureaucracy. I don't even know where I'd start. Or I, I'd actually have the thought of trying to hit up Depot or Lowe's, but again, don't don't know where to start. And then the other one that might have been lower hanging fruit would be the schools that teach the program and saying, "Hey, and look it, it's going to be fourteen ninety five a month. You you offer it to everyone, and I'll give you seven in perpetuity or whatever." I thought about trying to do something like that. Just cross tab it against the advice I also mentioned about making sure your price is right. For example, an interesting way to crack the schools is to do some version of a freemium model where you have a version which has enough functionality for them to teach 
but not enough functionality for someone who's actually going to use it. So it's an incentive for them because they get it for free. They can give it to all their students for free. Their students can all use it sufficiently to do the exercises, the practice RRP things that they ask them to do. But then when they take it down and begin using it, they use it for a few small jobs and begin to realize, wow, I do want to now spend the extra $1.99 a month or $2.99 a month to upgrade to the one which actually allows me to whatever, which is a whole different skill of how do you begin to figure out which features go in the free version and which are the ones people will pay for. You've got a lot of possibility here. What I would encourage you at the highest level is to stop wondering <laughs> why no one's buying this thing. Start looking inward. Though I've made some fundamental miscalculation and it could be that your pricing is wrong. Could be. Could be the problem you're solving. No one else has it. It could be that you need to find someone else who is more incented to have this thing used than that end user is or some combination of all three. But the only way you're going to figure those things out is number one, asking people, sniffing around, asking questions. If you actually do get to talk to a real human being who says, no, thank you, go fine no pressure, but you'd be doing me a huge solid if you could spend 10 minutes. Walk me through what you were thinking and why you didn't think it was something that you'd use, just so I can inform my intuition for future product decisions. That's a great idea. I think a good place to start, if I could make some sort of an inroad with a school, I could actually say, hey, I'll be your assistant for the eight-hour class for free. We can work out some sort of freemium model. I'll let you do this. I'll show them how to use it, whatever the case is. But let me at the end give a blind survey and ask them a few questions, have them fill out a piece of paper for me and ask them, are you taking this class just because you feel you need to, or are you really going to do it? And if you're going to do it, how are you planning on documenting and that, that sort of thing? So be interesting to see what people think, because I, I don't know. That is the catchphrase for this whole episode. It'd be interesting to see what people think. I couldn't have said it better myself. That's exactly what you have to do. And then just, again, don't fall in love with your idea. Fall in love with the problem. Be flexible that you have to change what you're doing as you learn more. And that will make it a really, really fun exercise. I hope successful. What I am going to ask you to do, though, is I may give you a call back in, I don't know, six months, a year and get a report out on what you've tried and what you learned. And uh, hopefully that you have finally stumbled on the thing, which is going to unlock this business and allow you to uh, retire to the south of France and uh, put your feet up and do whatever you want to do. Be kind of fun. Yeah, indeed. And basically rip seven square foot holes in drywall with impunity because after all, this is France. That's right. Okay. Well, JR, really, the bottom line though is good luck. Hang in there. Thank you. All power to the fact that you've actually solved a problem and did something about it, which puts you basically steps way ahead of most people who were only dreaming. So I wish you the best of luck with it. Thank you. Well, the good news is that JR's product solves a problem for somebody. And that's always a good place to start. But finding out who that somebody is will take some creativity and some trial and error. But with a product that's good enough to get the job done and JR's insider knowledge of the industry, he should have the right tools to solve this puzzle. Next time we chat, I'll check in to see his progress in finding that avenue that'll get his app to his users. Well, that's all for today. And thanks to my guests for entrusting their business to me for a little while. I look forward to hearing back from them in a few months to see if my advice helped. 
In the meantime, if you want to be a guest on That Will Never Work, I've made it really easy. Just go to markrandolph.com forward slash guest, fill out the form, and leave a voice message right there on the site. While you're there, sign up to get my weekly entrepreneurial advice delivered right to your inbox. Or connect with me on Twitter at mbrandolph or on Instagram at that will never work. Or my newest attempt at denying my age on TikTok, where I promise you won't ever find me dancing without a shirt on. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to smash that like button and leave me a review at Apple Podcasts. I'll see you next time. Audiation.